My God, somebody with that testimony ought to just rear back tonight and declare the Lord is the light of my salvation. Woo! Tell your neighbor, I have no reason to fear. The writer said it like this. He said, of whom shall I be afraid? He said, I ain't scared of nothing. When you receive the Holy Ghost, uh, the Bible declares unto us uh, that we have not received uh, a spirit of fear, uh, but of love uh, and of power uh, and of a sound uh, mind. Somebody ought to put your hands together one more time and give God a praise. Hallelujah. Woo. Tell your neighbor, I live faith over fear. Yay. You excited to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. High five about six people on the way to your seat. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I am so excited about what the Lord has been doing all across this house. How many of you are still feeling an overflow of the glory of God that was in this place on Sunday? Anybody been walking in the overflow this week? Amen. What an incredible time we had this weekend in the Holy Ghost and have received so many reports uh, of God kicking off and catalyzing so many incredible things uh, stemming from this weekend. And uh, we're looking forward to everything else the Lord is doing in this place. Amen. Excited about All Nations Sunday. Amen. Going to be a great time in the Holy Ghost. And uh, I, I want to uh, say what a privilege and an honor it is tonight to have all of our guests in the house of the Lord. We have some guests here. I, I wonder if I could borrow your hands and your voice, church, to give a great big welcome tonight to all of our guests that are here in the building tonight. Amen. We're so grateful uh, for you here tonight. And... Um, want to make a brief announcement uh, tonight. I, I found out just a couple of days ago uh, that uh, brother and sister Liggins are going to be relocating back to North Carolina. And uh, that's right. Big ah. And, uh, and, and we want them to know how much we love them and how much we appreciate them. I believe tonight uh, will be brother Liggins' last service. Uh, but Sister Liggins and the kids going to be here for just a little bit longer. We want them to know how much we absolutely love them. And uh, they always have a home right here at the Rock Church. Amen, somebody? And we pray God's absolute blessing over them and his favor over their lives. And uh, believing God to lead and guide them. Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles if you would. I want to hasten to the word of the Lord tonight, the book of Romans chapter number 12. How many of you have been enjoying our series on holiness? We have been having such an incredible time in the word of God, and uh, I'm looking forward to what God is going to do tonight. 
The book of Romans chapter 12 is where I want to launch from tonight. Verse number one. When you have it, somebody shout word up. If you ain't got it, shout hold up. <laughs> All right, I'm waiting on you. Amen. If you take longer than 10 more seconds, just fake it. Y'all ever done that before? The preacher says, turn to the book of Habakkuk. You get nervous. I'm, I know where Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's somewhere. Pretty soon you just let it fly open to the book of Psalms. And, and the Lord said. <laughs> Hallelujah. Romans chapter 12, verse number one says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. Now, I want to take a moment to tell you that I, I, I am going to be, uh, throughout these series of lessons, there is going to be an element of redundancy in, in our lessons because part of the art of pedagogy, which is just a fancy word for teaching, is repetition. It's part of how we learn, amen? When you learn multiplication, it's flashcards over and over. One plus one, one times two is, two times two is, three times. And so that repetition is what helps us to learn. And so uh, there's a little bit of a level of redundancy uh, here. So just indulge me tonight while I reestablish and, and reemphasize some of these principles. But in the book of Romans chapter 12, Remember that the Apostle Paul is talking to a Hebrew people who are not very far removed from the Old Testament tabernacle order. And so the moment that he uses the word sacrifice, they instantaneously get a word picture in their mind of a priest sacrificing an animal upon the altar. But Paul blows their mind when he begins to tell them that it is going to be your bodies that are going to be a sacrifice unto God. You can't just say, God has all my heart and not have your body. You can't say, God has all, all of me. Oh, no, wait, that's not a gospel song, is it? That's, it could be. Depends on who you're singing it to. Some of y'all need to lighten up a little bit tonight. You cannot declare that God has you and yet withhold your body from him. The apostle Paul is telling them that part of holiness, completeness, complete ownership and belonging to God is you are going to present not just your heart and your mind, but your body body unto God as a sacrifice and quite different than the Old Testament order where they killed the sacrifice you're going to be a living sacrifice Woo. 
And we know how important it was, the order and the protocol and the specificity in which they had to bring the right sacrifice to God if he was going to accept it. The Apostle Paul here says that there is a particular way that you have to present yourself to God, and that is holy. That means that if you can present yourself holy unto God, there, that means there's people trying to present themselves unholy to God. Present yourselves, you're going to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. I want God to accept me. I don't want God to reject me. Now this flies in the face of modern religion that tells you God just accepts you how you are. And while that sounds good, it's anti-biblical. God will find you and he'll grab you and love you how you are. But his intention is not for you to stay where you're at. Come on somebody, I just need to make sure I'm in the right church. God will pick you up from wherever you are. He'll wrap his arms. For God so loved the world that he forgave his only begotten son. He'll find you where you're at, but God intends to bring you out. He intends to change you. So you're going to present your bodies. We've been dealing primarily up until these last lessons with the inner man. The mind, the thoughts. We dealt with speech and then environment. But tonight we're going to begin to talk about the outer man. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's just reasonable service for me to take my body and make sure that I present it to God a holy body unto him. Amen, somebody. Tell your neighbor it's just reasonable service. It's not even a big deal. It's the bare minimum that I can do for my God. And then he inextricably attaches verse 2 to what he just said in verse 1. And, somebody say, and be not conformed to this world. What's he talking about? He's talking about how you present your body. And he's telling you, don't let your body be conformed to this world. Don't get ideas for how you present yourself from this world. Be not conformed. Don't be shaped like it. Don't look like it. Don't imitate it. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed Ooh, see that's how I know that God doesn't want me to stay the way he found me or else there wouldn't be a need for transformation he said don't be unholy don't be conformed like the world but when I find you where you are the Holy Ghost is going to transform you that means I'm going to go from one thing that I was and I'm going to change into something that I was not before I'm going to become holy when I was unholy. I'm going to become acceptable when I used to be unacceptable unto God. Be ye transformed. Watch this. How? By the renewing 
of your mind. Woo, that's powerful. He ties the inner and the outer man together. How is your body going to be transformed? How is your appearance and the way you pray? It starts by renewing the way you think about it. It starts with revelation from God. It starts with you getting the mind of God. It starts with you getting a hold of the word of God. You've got to let God change the way you think about holiness. You've got to let the word of God begin to inform the way that you understand. Come on, am I in the right building? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove if you get it up here it's going to come out on the outside whatever's on the inside is going to prove itself on the outside if you'll get the mind that's why we've been spending all this time on the inner man because if you can get the inner man renewed if you can get the inner man holy uh, then he's going to prove what is that good uh, and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so tonight's lesson, and, and, and it's going to take me a minute to pivot here, but follow with me. Tonight's lesson is going to be the honor and power of your hair. <laughs> Tell your neighbor there is honor and power because of your hair. Would you put your Bibles down and clap your hands one more time and give God a praise for his word tonight. Come on, let's give God a praise. Thank God for his word. Amen. You may be seated tonight. I'm going to uh, be as expeditious as possible. The book of Psalms chapter 96 and verse number 9 renders the word of the Lord like this. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. I want to just put that at the forefront of our mind tonight because we are constantly bombarded by thoughts of society that holiness is ugly. That holiness is old-fashioned. That holiness is outdated. That holiness has its place amongst the list of things that you find in some kind of dictatorship or some kind of elite club. But I came to declare the word of the Lord over that thing tonight. That holiness is beautiful. I just need about 200 radical people in the building tonight. Uh, I said holiness uh, is uh, beautiful, uh, saith uh, the Lord. Uh, I don't care what Hollywood says. Uh, I'm not living by its definition uh, of beauty. Uh, it's been distorted by the enemy. Uh, I don't care what Vogue magazine uh, declares to be beautiful. Uh, it has believed a lie uh, from the pits of hell. Uh, my Bible tells me uh, that if you want to know what is beautiful, uh, holiness uh, is uh, beautiful. Uh, holiness isn't a drudgery. Uh, holiness isn't uh, some sort of burden uh, that we have to carry. Uh, holiness My God, somebody is with not that some sort of just rules back that we have to live by. Uh, but holiness uh, reflects uh, the very beauty. 
of the God that I serve who said be ye holy for I am holy. We've got to worship him in the beauty of holiness. We live in a society that is inundated with the idea that you are not enough. Society is constantly pushing the narrative that you're not enough. And this mindset has its origin in the book of Genesis when Eve had that fatal conversation with that serpent in the garden. And God created man and woman and he placed them in the garden. And can I just remind you, God doesn't make mistakes. God is a perfect creator. I just need five believers. I said God is a perfect creator and you cannot improve on perfection. God created perfection. He gave perfection everything that it needed. But Eve believed a word from that serpent uh, that convinced her uh, that what you have is not enough. Oh, you got all these trees to, do you you understand? Uh, He took her focus off of everything she had uh, and got her focus on one thing uh, that God said belonged uh, to him. Uh, That's what the devil will do. Uh, He'll get you to fixate on something uh, that he has convinced you is inferior uh, that is not good enough uh, and if he can get you fixated on the idea uh, that it's not good enough uh, then you'll buy into his idea uh, of disobeying the word of God uh, oh God did, did God really say that uh, be, because he you you understand God knows uh, that in the day you eat of that fruit uh, that there's some stuff uh, that he's withholding from you uh, that, that he's not giving you access to you're being restricted uh, and you're being held down uh, and you're being held back uh, by the rules and the regulations uh, of the garden uh, and what he was trying to do uh, was to talk them into forfeiting uh, the promise and the blessing of beauty that God had given to them uh, but I came to serve notice tonight uh, that you cannot improve uh, on perfection uh, you've got to understand uh, that you are fearfully uh, and you are wonderfully uh, made Uh, my God I don't need the augmentation uh, of the world uh, to be better uh, because God made me uh, like I am uh, and God didn't make a mistake uh, and I am beautiful come on I just need uh, some people in the building uh, that understand I am beautiful uh, I am fearfully uh, and I am wonderfully uh, made This is what drives industries like the cosmetic industry. The narrative, you're too dark. You're too light. Your lips are too big. Your lips are too small. Your is too big. And your is too small. And and you got to cut this. 
and you got to fix that uh, and you got to what you don't understand is it is a never ending cycle uh, of dissatisfaction uh, it's never good enough uh, it's never enough uh, it's no you have believed a lie uh, of the enemy uh, and so young ladies spend their entire life uh, looking for the approval uh, of the wrong things uh, and the wrong people uh, oh I'm about to get myself in trouble up in here uh, one songwriter said you're looking for love uh, in all the wrong places uh, they spend their whole life uh, trying to figure out uh, and measure uh, their and their acceptance uh, by what they have the ability to attract uh, they use that as a litmus test uh, for their beauty I'm gonna preach here in just a moment uh, and so they'll paint it up and they'll they'll, they'll do this and that to try uh, and be more attractive here and there uh, but can I preach to you uh, that when you are trying to appeal uh, to the flesh uh, then flesh uh, is exactly what you will uh, attract uh, I came to preach to a young lady uh, you're not going to attract a good man that way uh, you're not going to attract a godly man that way uh, you might attract a whoremonger uh, you might attract an adulterer uh, you might attract a fornicator uh, who wants to use you uh, for his self appetite I'm preaching real good right now but you put out bait that is designed to feed the flesh when you get a revelation of who you are and your self worth and you get God esteem over self esteem then baby you'll walk in like the princess that God made you you'll walk in like a child of royalty you'll be like Queen Esther whose glory and beauty radiated from out of her and when you have that kind of confidence in who God made you that's when good men will come to you that's when come on I'm preaching real good right now that's what that's what godly men are looking for that's what a faithful man is looking for that's what a hard-working man is looking for come on don't you dare let the devil talk you into attracting the wrong thing You might attract flies, but you won't attract a good man. There's something powerful about a woman who understands her beauty in the way God created her. She doesn't have to emulate anybody else because she's a bad original all by herself. And you don't get more valuable than somebody who understands their value uh, as an original. Uh, I ain't trying to look like the Kardashians. Uh, I'm not trying to look uh, like Paris Hilton. I don't need to look like any of the baby. Uh, they ain't got nothing uh, on an apostolic young lady uh, who is full of the Holy Ghost uh, that when she walks in the room, uh, the very glory of God uh, is emanating from, come on baby, uh, set your standards a little bit higher. Uh, get a revelation from God uh, about who you are. Uh, get an understanding from God uh, that he fearfully uh, and wonderfully made you uh, and that you are created to live uh, in the beauty uh, of
of holiness. There are no more beautiful women and no more handsome young men than apostolic, holy, living young people and men on the planet. Why do you think the devil wants to work so bad to mess your holiness up? Why do you think he works so hard to try and degrade your holiness and to try to tell you and cause you to believe that you're insufficient and you're not the devil is a liar. I'm not a used car on a parking lot that you can haggle the price over my value. My value is what it is and it ain't going on sale and it's not going to be discounted. Oh, I need some young ladies to shout tonight who understand I'm not going on sale. I'm not going discount. If you want me, you're going to pay full price because I'm holy. I'm committed. I'm consecrated. And I'm not changing that to attract anybody looking for a cheap thrill. I'm not changing that to attract. I need some young men in the building who will shout over that uh, and let somebody know uh, I love holiness. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, it's the best thing. Dear God, we ain't going to get nowhere like this. When something is created perfect, and you try to mess with it, you devalue it immediately. It's like putting a bumper sticker on the back of a Mercedes. I got somebody with a bumper sticker on the back of Mercedes time. <laughs> Listen, that thing came from the factory with everything it needed to turn all eyes and attention. You need to let the devil know I came from the factory, uh, certified and approved beautiful. Uh, oh, I came out of my mama's womb, uh, radiating with the glory. Some of you women need a fresh revelation that a good man is attracted to that. He's attracted to that kind of confidence. A woman who, not confidence in her self-flesh, but confident in the God in her. Confident in the glory of God uh, emanating from her. Woo! My, 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 my. And when you try to mess with it, it becomes a deformity of what God intended for it to be. Y'all sit down, relax. Shoo! If you're taking notes, write this down tonight. There are three main areas that a man or a woman present themselves. They present their bodies. And they also become the three main ways that a person manifests either their rebellion or their submission to God. Now, we're going to uncover all this. Not tonight. We're going to take this lesson by lesson, but I'm going to give you a quick overview. Number one, if you're taking notes, is in their hair. 
We're going to cover it. It's in the Bible. Number two is in their dress, their clothing, their apparel. And number three is in their adornment. All right, you with me tonight? First Timothy chapter 2 verse 9 says this, In like manner also that women adorn themselves. Say adorn. There's one of the categories. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel. There's another category. With shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair. There's the third category. Or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness. He juxtaposes what he just described saying that the opposite of this are women um, who profess godliness with good works. Interesting to note that the verse before these ones, verse number eight, is the verse where he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We'll come back to that another time. First Peter chapter three, verses three through four says this. Here they are again laid out before us, these thematic principles in Scripture. Whose adorning, there it is again, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, there it is again, and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, adornment, hair, apparel. The scripture over and over again addresses categorically these things. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. God turns our attention to the understanding that the attractiveness does not originate from the outside, but it originates from the inside. I've met people who by the world standards were a 10, but they were so nasty on the inside that you couldn't even see the beauty on the outside. And so categorically the scripture addresses these. And so tonight we are going to deal with one of these things. When we talk about holiness on the inside, you'll remember when God brings his people out of Egypt, leads them to Mount Sinai, and he calls Moses up onto the top of the mountain and says, I'm going to give you a word, and and, and I'm going to establish you as a people and as a nation. And they are coming out of Egypt. Egypt, again, always a type of the world. And they brought something with them from Egypt that posed a challenge because when Moses was gone enough days in the mountain, Aaron was left in charge and he was a weak-kneed leader who didn't know what to do and so... He said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take all of the jewelry and the gold 
that we bought, brought from Egypt and we're going to grind it down and, 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 and melt it. And then, and then he made a golden calf. And, and it wasn't an accident that he made it in the likeness of a calf because in Egypt, the calf was the image that represented the god Baal. And they made it into a golden calf and you read it when you get home. Aaron literally looks at the golden calf and declares unto his people, Behold, the Lord Jehovah that brought you out of Egypt. He tried to get them to think that this golden calf was Jehovah that had brought them out of Egypt. I could preach for a minute about sin that comes in the name of the Lord. Not everything that calls itself godly or Christian uh, is godly or Christian. Uh, oh, come on, somebody. Uh, I don't care if you put the name church over the building. Uh, if it's got a golden calf on the inside, uh, it is an imitation uh, and it's an idol. Uh, I don't care what it's called. Uh, I don't care what it is. Uh, if it's a golden calf, uh, it is not godly. Uh, it is sin uh, that is coming in the name uh, of the Lord. We're Christians too. We love God too. But if they knew who their God was, they'd never bow to a golden idol. They'd never dance around false doctrines. Come on, I feel like preaching for a moment. Uh, if they really, you see, to know your God uh, is to know his word. Uh, you can't separate it. In the beginning was the word, uh, and the word was with God, and the word uh, was uh, God. Uh, the fact that you're embracing false doctrine uh, tells me you don't really know the God uh, that you're serving. Uh, you're dancing around a golden calf. Uh, you're singing songs uh, to a golden calf. And so this, this gold came as a result of them bringing an Egyptian thing with them. The jewelry and the, the, the decor and the, the stuff. And, and so Moses is up here getting the commandments and they're breaking them as fast as he's getting them. And when he comes down off the mountain, they had stripped off all their clothes. And they were dancing naked. Not naked, naked. Moses came off the mountain and all he saw was hips, lips, and fingertips. And he was so mad. I ain't got time to preach all this. He throws the stones, breaks, comes down, and he said, oh, these people need a lesson. So he makes them grind up all of the gold and put it in the water. And then he makes them drink all of the gold that's in the water because he wanted them to get a clear understanding that the, the shine and the glory is from within and not from without. Your bling and your shine and your ornamentation isn't 
isn't uh, achieved by what you clamp in your ear and hang around your neck and put on your fingers. Uh, but the glory uh, and the ornamentation of God uh, comes from what is on uh, the inside uh, of a man. And so these principles are dealt with in Scripture, and, and we're going we're gonna to dive into all of these over the next few weeks. But tonight, tell your neighbor, tonight, I want to spend a few minutes talking about hair. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. As you begin to read this text, you understand that Paul is dealing with the issue of authority. And perhaps there are those that would try to rebuttal biblical doctrine concerning what we are talking about tonight. And they would try to relegate it to a simple lack of understanding about culture. But we're about to see in Scripture that not only does the Word of God address culture, which varies from place to place and from time to time, but he deals with nature. And nature is not dynamic. It is static. It is has no variableness nor shadow of turning. Our God never changes. If God didn't like something then, he doesn't like it now. God doesn't change his mind about what he loves and what he hates. He is immutable. And so, as you begin to read the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 3, he is dealing with the topic of authority. And in verse number three, he says, but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God, okay? This is what he is establishing is spiritual authority, and in the very next verse, he pivots and he ties a concept to spiritual authority. Verse number four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now, if you were to go home and, and do a word study, you would find that this word covered and uncovered uh, is where the same where place we get the meaning to cut, to cover or uncover. It is dealing with the idea of cutting, the covering. Verse number five is juxtaposed to verse four. Verse four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But, verse 5, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. The man who leaves his hair 
uncut dishonors his head. But the woman who cuts her hair dishonoreth her head. He goes on to say this, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. He is making a very clear distinction here that he is not talking about the degree to which it is cut or uncut. He is talking about the fact that if the woman cuts her hair at all, it is the same thing in God's eyes as if she shaved the whole thing off of her hair. So there is no moderation concerning what he is about to explain to us. There is no just a little bit or a lot or because it is too subjective. What's long? What's short? Who knows? The, 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 the ideology here in the very concise communication is that if a woman cuts her covering even a little bit it is the same as if she shaved her whole head now listen to this some people would tell this is just that's Old Testament we're in 1 Corinthians well that's for that's, that's for the old church this is the New Testament church. This is the book of Acts church that he's talking to. And he's about to deal with things that have nothing to do with time or temporal cultures, but they are things of eternal value. The nature of man, the nature of God, the supernatural object. Come on, somebody. Listen to verse 6. For if the woman be not covered, again, to be uncovered simply means that she cut her hair. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. If she's going to cut it, might as well shave the whole thing. But if it's a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, which Scripture tells us it is, then let her be covered don't let her live a life with her hair uncut. This is why we preach and teach when you receive the Holy Ghost and you are now living in a covenant with God and you get a revelation of his word, you should no longer ever let scissors touch your hair because your hair is a, has a direct connection to your submission uh, to spiritual authority uh, in your life. Come on, I'm in the word of the Lord tonight. Am I in the right church? To cut your hair is to break covenant. To cut your hair. I don't, this is why uh, apostolics who, 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 can I just preach? Apostolic women who trim the dead ends lack revelation. They lack understanding of the word of God. And they believe the word of the serpent. I mean the world. I mean I mean the salon. I mean I mean I'm I'm getting them all confused. You gotta trim it. Your hair doesn't grow from the end. It grows from the roots anyway. 
and I don't care what they say or what reason they give when I've got the Holy Ghost I've got a revelation that my hair is a covenant with the God that I serve and I'm not going to let scissors ever touch or anything else that would damage and cut or trim my hair break the sign of the covenant that I have with the God that I serve. Verse number seven gives us the juxtaposed position from men. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Now, I'm going to get into this in just a moment, but are you seeing very clearly that there is not only the uh, issue of submission here, but he is dealing with the identity of the sexes. The distinction between a man and a woman. There is no neutral ground by which a man and a woman, it's the same thing in it. And it doesn't matter what they do. No, that is anti-biblical. He said there is a specific uh, protocol that identifies uh, a man and a specific uh, uh, a protocol that, that identifies uh, a woman. Verse 9, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And, and I don't have time to get all, into all of this, but the nomenclature here is communicating to us that, that the man was here first. And God said it is not good for him to be alone. And so he creates the woman for the man. She comes from his side. But after that initial creation, every man comes through the matrix of the womb and is born of the woman. And so there is a reciprocity of understanding of the need and the correlation between the man and the woman. She's created for the man, but the man is born of the woman. And God said, I'm going to set a distinction between the two. Listen to verse 10. This is one of my favorite scriptures in this chapter. For this cause, all that we just talked about, the significance of submission to authority, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. See, some of y'all women... If you really got this scripture, you'd be shouting right now because there is a promise and a covenant with God that comes to a woman that not even a man has. And God said, woman, when you live in submission to the authority that I've put in your life and you have that covenant on your head, there is now a supernatural element to your submission to God. You have power. 
power on your head because of the angels. I came to preach to some women that when you live a life up under consecration to God and your hair is a sign of covenant between you and God, God gives you influence and power with the angels. There is a level of supernatural significance to a woman that lives. Oh, your hair is a sign of submission. You understand, woman, that the way to power is through submission and to the level that you are submitted to God and submitted to spiritual authority. God said, I'll increase the angelic host that you have an audience with, that you're going to have access to the power of angels that not even a man can access in his walk and his relationship. See, if there were some women in the building that had this revelation, my God, you would pray differently when you understood the power that's on your head. You would be reminded every morning when you're braiding your hair and you're preparing your hair that God, I've got a covenant with you and I've got access to angelic host because of the hair. I'm preaching about the honor and power of your hair. I can't can't trim it just to try to look cute. Uh, I've got too much power to lose. Uh, I I can't mess this up uh, just to appease uh, society. Uh, I've got too much power uh, to lose. Uh, I've got something too precious uh, that God has given me uh, with the power uh, that's on my head. I'm going to come back to that. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Why did he say that? If you read this in context, you'll understand that what he's saying is, I just gave you all the information. Now you judge. Should a woman pray with her hair cut? Come on. Then in verse 14 he says, Doth not even nature itself teach you? Nature. The way God created it. The way God designed it. Nature is a teacher. Nature has nothing to do with cultural relevancy. Nature has nothing to do with what continent you were born on. Nature has nothing to do uh, about with which family uh, that you came from. Uh, Nature uh, supersedes all of those things. Uh, And he said, does not nature itself uh, teach you uh, that if a man has long hair, uh, that if a man, come on somebody. uh, That word long is the same word we found earlier with covered that means cut or uncut. That if a man have uncut hair, 
it is a shame unto him. God doesn't intend for you to walk a life of shame. Shame is associated with disobedience. But if a woman have long or uncut hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair, somebody say her hair. This is an important scripture. For her hair is given her for a covering. That's important because there are some religions that teach that a woman should keep her hair head covered, but they use things like veils. And as long as they have a covering over their head, then they cut their hair as long as they keep it covered. This is not the covering that the Bible said. The Bible said her hair was given to her as her covering. I don't mind if you wear a veil to church, just don't cut your hair. I don't mind if you wear that thing and cover your head. Just don't put a scissor in your hair and break the covenant between you and your God. And then the apostle takes it one step further in the next verse. He says, but if any man seemed to be contentious. <laughs> he said, if anybody wants to argue about this. He said, we have no such custom in other words, it's settled, it's finished. You're not gonna find this anywhere in the church, neither the churches of God. In other words, there's no arguing the point. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, it's a principle of God, amen, somebody. And so let, 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 me, let, me, let me zero in just a little bit further, and I'm hurrying tonight. There are three important things to remember concerning the scriptures in here that, that we have already found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Number one, th these are eternal elements. It's not just a hairdo. It's not just fashion. I'm, I'm preaching to some of our young men. It's not just a cool hairstyle. How you style yourself tells something about you. There's significance. And God doesn't want us to be conformed to the world. And so there are, there are three eternal elements dealing with there. Number one is submission. Submission. It's, it's a unique correlation that many times, if not most of the time, when a woman begins to backslide. One of the first things she does is cuts her hair. That's not an accident. It's, it's just a physical manifestation that she is cutting ties to spiritual authority in her life. I, I don't want to be up under the restraint of spiritual authority, whether that's the Holy Ghost, the Word of God, the man of God, or sometimes even her own husband. So there's the eternal element of submission. 
Then number two, there is the eternal elements of praying and prophesying that are correlated with your hair. And what happens when you pray, and if the Bible warns us about praying, a woman praying and prophesying with her hair cut, imagine the implications to a woman's prayer whose hair is uncut and it has been consecrated to God. Woo, I'm telling you right now, I feel the Holy Ghost wanting to wake up some women in the building tonight uh, that you've got a whole lot more power than the enemy ever prays uh, that you realize when you pray. Uh, the, the enemy hopes uh, that you never come to the revelation. Uh, the, the enemy prays uh, that you remain distracted and discouraged uh, when you pray because if uh, you ever uh, get a revelation uh, of the authority uh, and the power of God that is on you uh, when you pray consecrated uh, to God. You have the power to shake kingdoms. You have access and power to angelic armies that can move things in the supernatural when nothing else can get it done, mama. Your prayer can get it done. When counseling can't fix it, a mama's prayer can fix it. Oh, I came to preach. When money can't solve the issue, your consecration to God can summon angels uh, that have access to the throne room uh, of heaven. There are eternal elements. There are eternal implications to the way a man and a woman keep their hair. The third one we've already mentioned. Second one is praying and prophesying. The third one is the angels. Angelic power. I don't know why in my mind's eye I just see an image of a woman cutting. Not even realizing she's not cutting away hair. She's cutting away power and authority. She's cutting away promises of God. She's cutting away things that God has laid up for her. Because of her consecration to God. I, I, I feel like I want to keep going, but God just keeps stopping me right here. Young lady, you've got to do everything in your power to protect your hair. You be careful who you go let do your hair in a salon. You, you be careful when you sit down in that salon and, and ask them to do something to your, you. You, you guard it. You, you double down. You, I want you to put the scissors in the drawer. I, I want you to make sure that nothing's going to, to uh, do we have an understanding or are we clear? It's not overkill. It's not rude. Uh, it's you having a revelation uh, that I've got to protect the power uh, of heaven uh, that God has given me. Come on, somebody. I've got to protect And I'll just deal with this for a moment before I move on. It's not about length. People try to make it about length. Well, I, as long as I, I can cut it, as long as I leave it long. Nowhere in the scripture does it have anything to do with length. 
Why? Because length is subjective. Some people's hair grows longer than other people's. God didn't place unfair favor and power based on the genetics of how long your hair can grow. Some of us be in trouble. But he placed the power in your consecration to never cut what God gave you. So I don't care if your hair can only grow to the bottom of your neck, uh, the middle of your shoulders, uh, or all the way down to your ankles. Uh, you ought to just let your hair uh, be a consecrated sign uh, to the whole world. Uh, this is my devotion to God. This declares my submission uh, to God and his authority uh, that's in my life. Uh, and that submission uh, doesn't make me weak. Uh, it doesn't make me subordinate. Uh, it doesn't make me second class. Uh, it actually elevates me uh, to a place of dominion uh, and power uh, and authority uh, and influence uh, with God. If you continue to read in Scripture, I read it a little bit earlier, one of the topics that comes up in Scripture regarding hair and, and specifically in this case, woman's hair, is plating now, this isn't something that we used to see very often, and, and most men would almost skip over this, but it is becoming more and more prominent. Plating of gold and different things. First Peter 3 and 3, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel. You see, what, what they would do in those days as they would literally braid and weave their hair and they would weave things into their hair, gold and different materials that had spiritual significance. You see, women have always understood the significance of spirituality and their hair. As a matter of fact, let me stop here for a moment to tell you that when you begin to study Wicca and witchcraft, and you find some of the priestesses that are in the highest levels of Satanism, they do not cut their hair. They make a vow not to cut their hair because they understand there is a spiritual implication. And you look it up when you get home. Most of those witches, there are particular spells and incantations that part of the ritual is they will let their hair down and they will swing their uncut hair around as they chant and try to gain the favor of spiritual beings. And so the hair has always had, and so they would weave golden things and, and they would literally plate and braid and they would shape their braids and the weaving of their hair into particular shapes. They would weave them into shapes like horns that would represent particular gods and goddesses. We're starting to see that surface more and more and more. Just look at the hip-hop culture that has become openly satanic and look at their, their concerts uh, and their stars that are walking out with their hair now braided and twisted uh, in particular fashions to give them a demonic uh, appearance. There's, there's one example in history. There was a particular type of a, it was almost like a crown that a woman would put on her head that was shaped somehow in the likeness of Jerusalem. And she would, she would intertwine her hair into that thing and, 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 and make it in such a way that, that it 
that it had a, a significance uh, in that culture. And, and so there, that is making its way. But, but there's another topic that, that, that we have to discuss tonight that, that deals with weaving and plating things into our hair. And that is things like weave and, and wigs and, and fake hair. Oh boy, it's going to get quiet up in here. Let me start here. If putting on weave or, or I'm trying. Is coming from a place that you're embarrassed about your hair and you feel inferior because your hair can't grow as long as somebody else's. It is no different than the woman putting the makeup on her face because she feels inferior. It becomes a cosmetic just like anything else. And it is based in the same lie from the devil that tells you you're not good enough. You're not attractive because your hair doesn't grow as long as sister so-and-so's. And maybe if you made it a little bit longer, uh, you would be more attractive. Or maybe, come on, I I'm losing my shouters right now. I don't care if you're sitting on the pew, you're living under spiritual bondage. When you walk around and you have the weight uh, and the curse feeling uh, of I'm not good enough. Let me say this. I'm, I'm going to wade through it real carefully. Let me, let, me, let me explain it from this angle. I've heard women who use these products because they say it takes too long to fix my hair. That ain't even a spiritual problem. Well, it really is, but let me just tell you what it is, is laziness. It's laziness. And so we try to make up the difference. Anything precious requires us taking care of it. Woo, this is good preaching. Anything precious requires maintenance. And don't tell me you don't have time while you're burning two and three hours a day on Instagram and Facebook. Don't, no, I, I ain't hearing it. If you get to bed at a decent time instead of staying up on Facebook, you'd have enough energy to get up and fix your hair. Get rid of that summer hair. 
some of your hair and some of somebody else's. Now, let me explain it this way. I understand that there are times when a woman might be in a position that might fit the example like this. If I was to be in an accident and lose my arm, more than likely, I would see if I could get a hold of a prosthetic arm to continue to have functionality, to be able to do what I was originally designed to do. And although it's synthetic and it's not real, it is not under the context. That's Now, pause there. Think about that. But, but what if I went down tomorrow to the plastic surgeon and said, these 24-inch biceps are not big enough. Don't put a tape on them. <laughs> I need 28s. And I now went and because, I, you know, it's not, it's not enough. Same thing, not enough. Do you see the difference? There's, there's a similar difference. I, I understand that sometimes women may face a genetic disorder and they lose their hair, all their hair. And so they are simply trying to, to compensate for a natural thing. I understand that. Or maybe a woman has to go through chemotherapy and she loses all her hair. We, that, that, that makes sense. That, there's context for that. Now, I've seen women who, who, who won't put a wig on. They won't put nothing on. They'll just say, you know what? I'm trusting Jesus. It is what it, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. But there's a difference. And... And, and most of the time, most, I, I said most, when a woman does it and says, well, I'm just trying, my, I lost all my hair, whatever, her hair naturally was here. And she's wearing stuff like, There's something in your psyche that, that is dissatisfied with how God made you. God did not create you to live that way. God did not create you to be a, a slave to the idea that you're not good enough, that you're not sufficient enough, that you don't have everything that, come on, I need some people in the building that have the Holy Ghost and understand I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Most of the time, I said the word most, the hair issue is just an indicator of other self-esteem problems. We have become consumed with self-consciousness instead of God-consciousness. A woman's hair is uncut as her covering, and it's a sign of her submission to God. I got the babies giving me an amen tonight. Hallelujah. <laughs> a man's hair is cut. It's kept short because nature itself teaches us that if a man have long hair, that it's a shame unto him. It's a distinction of the sexes. It's a differentiator between male and female. 
One of the problems that we have in society today is gender confusion. And part of the reason we have gender confusion is because decades ago, starting in the 20s, we started erasing the lines of distinction between men and women. We started erasing all of the things that biblically defined a man and a woman, and you erased them long enough till now the grandchildren of those people are confused about whether they're a boy or whether they are a girl. And now they're even trying to, oh, I'm not going to get into it, they're trying to change physiologically all of the stuff. No, 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 no. There is a principle of God that if we'll live God's way, then we can preserve the integrity and the character of who we are in God. In biblical times, Corinth, which is where we get the book of First, Second Corinthians, these were letters written to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a licentious city. It was a sinful city. It was a port city that people from all over the world came, and it was known for its sin issues and its sexual depravity. Even today, sometimes they'll use the word Corinthianizing to describe illicit sexual behavior. This, this is the kind of people that he was writing to. And, and in Corinth, one of the first things that sailors would see when they came to Corinth was the temple to the goddess Diana. And one of the earmarks of the, the temple of the goddess Diana is that it was surrounded by harlots of the temple. It was part of the worship of the goddess Diana with sexual improprieties. And so these, these harlots were part of the, the religious scene of the temple of the goddess of Diana. And their distinctive, uh, their distinctive characteristic that allowed the sailors to immediately identify who they were is they cut their hair. It was a sign of free access. I'm not tied to anything. I'm not committed. I'm not submitted to anything. Now, don't run off and say that I said every woman that cuts her hair is a harlot. I know how social media works nowadays. I'll be on all the different social media stuff going viral. That's a lie. That's not what I said. I'm trying to give us a background of understanding concerning the principles that God gives us in his word. And so the culture knew that cut hair indicated that they were a harlot because all women observed the biblical principle of uncut hair. In southwest Turkey, in the ancient city called Aphrodisias, where we get the word Aphrodite, or we get the, the uh, Aphrodisiac from love potion number nine. It's from the goddess Aphroditus. She had a supposed mythical lover named Adonis that died and once a year, they had a ritual where they would come to the temple and mourn the loss of Adonis by cutting their hair and offering it as a sacrifice upon the altar. And I don't have time to get into all this stuff tonight. But if you study it, cut hair with women was one of the major hallmarks of the women's right activist movement that began in what history calls the Roaring Twenties. 
Now, before I make another statement tonight, I absolutely and unequivocally believe in women. I believe in women that are empowered by God. I believe in women that are anointed by God. I believe in women that have a call of God. And if you've been around this church any little length of time, you know this, you understand this. So please don't take out of context what I'm saying because what the world calls women's liberation is, is really women's rebellion. And, and, if you, and if you study it, the beginning of cut hair on women culturally began in the 20s. At, at the very genesis of this movement, this women's rights movement. And one of the things that women begin to do, you can, you can study all of this in your history books. One of the things that women begin to do to display their rebellion against authority was cut their hair. They called it bobbing their hair. Why would, now if somebody cut their hair today, it would never be taken that way. Why did they do it then? Because the United States was founded as a Christian nation. And at that point in time, women had not lost, society had not lost context of biblical principles. And women understood that uncut hair was a biblical principle in the word of God. And so women as a whole, even if they weren't devout Christians, still had a level of godliness in them that they did not cut their hair. If you were a woman, you did not cut your hair. And so in the 20s, they begin to bob their hair as one of the signs to society that they were rebelling against the idea that a woman was supposed to be submitted to a man. That somehow the man was the head of the household. That somehow all of the order of God in Scripture, they begin to stand up and fly in the face of that order. And so bobbed hair became a national issue because we were a Christian nation. And so you begin to read it. Uh, even in newspapers, there were articles that began to be written uh, about this women cutting their hair and if you look back in June uh, of 1925 in the Saturday Evening Post, there's an article written by a woman named Mary Ann Spitzer, and here's what she said. She said, there hasn't been a newspaper printed in the past two years that doesn't contain an article about hair. It used to be a crowning glory, but now it's just hair. This is what was headlining the news in 1925. In 1927, in the Ladies' Home Journal, there was an article written by a lady named Anne Harding, and the name of the article was called Your Crowning Glory. And here's what she wrote in the article. She said, the most radical change in our society with women has been in hairstyles. Hair really is the crowning glory of a woman. It still remains the most telling item of her appearance. If you don't believe it, just look how much time they spend in the mirror fixing it. She goes on to say, now short hair is considered chic. It is the symbol of freedom for a woman. 
they begin to identify this break from the idea of submission. Hair stylist salons, read it, look it up, quadrupled in the space of four years. Many hospitals and department stores discharged all female employees who cut or bobbed their hair. That's how much of a perversion against God that society as a whole understood back in the 20s. Many men divorced their wives when their wife cut their hair. They understood then that it was just a sign and a symbol of them rebelling against their husbands. In a Missouri court in 1926, they awarded custody of three children to private homes with Christian influence because their mother had bobbed her hair. You begin to study history. You can read about the angry decade of the 60s. Anybody around here alive during the 60s? There's a few people, Sister Pack, Brother Pack, Brother Sister Donnelly. Brother Donnelly, how old were you in the 60s? 20, 21? It was 39? No, no. You'd be older than Methuselah right now. <laughs> he was a young man. 19. Brother Pack, how old were you in the 60s? He's in his 20s. So they'll remember this well. But the 60s was known as the, the angry 60s. It became completely enveloped with the idea of rebellion. The 60s was marked with rioting and rebellion and drug use. The 60s was the birth of the hippie movement or the hippie culture. You want to know one of the things that the hippie culture brought in was the idea of unisex clothing. They wanted to eliminate the visual differences of any kind between a man and a woman. And so they, they introduced the idea of unisex clothing. They began to embrace Eastern religion and atheism. Rock and roll became famous. And the term that they called free sex, which basically meant you could have sex with anybody at any time for any reason. And it's all groovy, dude. And they eventually figured out it wasn't free. They figured out a few short later there was a horrendous price to pay for that kind of mentality. Long hairstyles for men begin to enter the culture during this period of time. Brother Donnelly, these, these folks will, will remember it very succinctly. This revolution of long hair was started in the United States really by a music group called the Beatles. I got 10 people that said, all right, amen. The rest of y'all said, the Beatles? <laughs> like the bug, like they sprayed it, come get, go get the exterminator. The Beatles? 
And the Beatles were the first ones to take a national public stage promoting men with long hair. The spring of 1964, the Beatles took the stage. How many of you remember Bishop Larry Booker? I grew up in the same town that he did. And he tells the story he remembers. You know, he wasn't raised in church. And he said he remembered the night that the Beatles came on the television for the first time. And he was sitting in his chair as a young man. And as the Beatles took the stage with their shocking long hair and began to sing their music, he said, it was almost as if I was hypnotized. He said, I remember reaching in my pocket and grabbing my comb, literally as I sat and watched them, and I started combing my hair down in my face. And I never cut it again for a long time. The spiritual reaching in the tendrils of a society overtaken by a culture of rebellion. Barber shops, Brother Collins, were closing at the rate of over 100 barber shops per month at that time in the United States because young men quit getting their hair cut. As young men displayed their rebellion against the establishment. That's what they said, huh, Brother Pack? The establishment, anything that represented authority or order, they were in rebellion. It was chaos. It was no rules, no regulations. Don't tell anybody what to do. We can do whatever we want. Freedom was the moniker, not understanding that it was really bondage. And it was defined by long-haired men. They displayed and identified themselves through their long, disheveled hair. Nearly all, come on music, give them some hope. I'm almost done. It's 9.17. I'm going to have you out of here in time. Uh, who's open 24 hours? Uh, <clears throat> You'll be able to get to Waffle House when I'm done. Nearly all subsequent cultures of rebellion have been identified by hairstyles. Think about this. The punk rockers. What was their defining moniker? Their hairstyle. The skinheads. They took it the other way. The association is clear. There is a connection to hair. Okay, let me bring it back down to where some of y'all live. How about the Rastafarian man? Rastaman. Uncut hair. Let it tangle, let it mangle. Twist it, pop it. It sounds like a bop it game. Twist it, pop it, pull it. Stretch it, wax it. Just don't wash it. Oh Lord. That ain't hairspray, that's cologne. <laughs> if you know, you know. 
So, so the long hair of men. So what does that mean for us? It means for us as apostolics, the people of God who, who receive the Holy Ghost, and God is calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God begins to reveal things about us. And we begin to say, God, I've got to be holy. God, I've got to live according to your word and to be pleasing. And all of a sudden, we begin to see things that we never saw before. And we begin to understand truths that sin and the enemy have tried to hide from us all of these years of our life. And we begin to see truths that have been buried even by the church world today. We begin to see and get revelation from his word that has, that has not been preached by apostate churches who are feel-good churches that are no more than social clubs uh, trying to, with itching ears, trying to tickle people's. And all of a sudden, we get the Holy Ghost uh, and we walk into a truth-preaching church uh, and God begins to reveal to us precious principles uh, out of his word. Uh, and we begin to understand, uh, I'm in covenant with God. Uh, and so you know what? Uh, if I'm a young man, uh, I I've got to keep my hair cut uh, because it's a sign uh, of my submission. Uh, it's how I bring honor uh, and power uh, to my head. Uh, and if I'm a young lady, I get the revelation uh, that I no longer uh, am ever going to cut my hair. I'm not going to dye it. Uh, I'm not going to cut it. Uh, why? Uh, because it's my covenant uh, of submission and I have power on my head uh, because of the angels. We can stand all over this house. There's honor there's power in your hair. I remember the story of one young lady who got a phone call that her son, who was out of state at a conference, had been struck by a car. And they weren't giving him any chance of living. Panicked, she didn't know what to do. He was in another state and they weren't giving him any chance to live. He was on life support. She caught the next flight that she could catch. I'm sorry, I've got another story mixed up. She went to the church. And she walked into the church. Nobody was there. She came down to the altar. And she pulled the bobby pins out of her hair. She had been living for God for quite some time. And she laid her hair on the altar. And she said, God, all these years, I've been faithful to you. And God, right now, I'm calling on your name because of my son. God, right now, there's nothing I can do. I can't get there. There's nothing. I'm helpless in this situation. God, I'm asking you right now to do a miracle for my son. Wouldn't you know that two days later, that boy got up out of the hospital and went back home because there was a mama that understood she had power on her head because of the angels. The other story that I remembered is there was a, a, a woman who, uh, whose father, she, she had been estranged from her family because she was living for God. 
She was the only one in her house as a young teenager. She received the Holy Ghost, was baptized in Jesus' name, and sold out to God, and her family would mock her. Her family would ridicule her. And eventually it became so tense, they pretty much rejected her because of her unwavering commitment to the Word of God. And so she barely had any contact with her family. And one day she got a call from her mom that said, your daddy has had a heart attack. And they've, give, they, they, they've given him less than 72 hours to make it. The young lady who, who lived out of state at this time got in a plane and she flew there to, the, to where he was. She walked in the hospital and she already had the room number. She knew where he was. She walked right past the waiting room where the family was. God had already spoke to her. And when she cleared the door of his room, she shut the door behind her and she began to unfold her hair. She knelt down on the side of his bed and she flipped her hair over her daddy's chest. And she began to weep and she began to cry. And she said, God, my daddy doesn't live for you. And God, if he goes today, I know he's not making it to heaven. She said, God, I'm begging you. Would you please consider the life I've lived for you? And would you give my daddy another chance? Would you give him another chance to repent? And less than five days later, his vitals returned back to normal and he went back home. A couple of weeks later, he was baptized in Jesus' name and he was filled uh, with the Holy Ghost. Uh, why? Because there was a woman that understood, uh, I've got power uh, and I've got honor uh, because of my hair. I want us to lift our hands all over this house tonight. It's only 924. We're not going to be here very much longer. But I wonder if there's anybody in the building that would take a moment tonight to come to this altar and respond to the word of the Lord in this house. Would you lift up your hands? I, I, you may have been living for God a long time, but maybe tonight God is just wanting to remind you that he's with you. Maybe tonight God just wants to remind you that you feel helpless and you might feel powerless and you might feel insignificant, but your relationship with God and your consecration to God has you in a place where all of heaven is at your beck and call, where there are angelic hosts that are just waiting to hear your voice uh, lifted. I wonder if somebody would begin to pray uh, in this building tonight. Come on, maybe you're a, a young lady or a woman that's here tonight and you've struggled uh, with this, this topic and you've struggled uh, with, with this this truth of God's word and tonight God is dealing with you and God is talking to you and, and you're saying, all right, God, uh, tonight is going to be the night that I consecrate myself to you. Uh, God, never again... Uh, Never again will, will scissors touch my hair. Never again will I cut. Come on. Maybe there's a young man in the building that God's talking to you tonight. And God's dealing with you. And you're saying, all right, God, I've got to be everything that you've called me to be. So tonight, God, I'm making a vow to you. Tonight, God, I'm consecrating myself to you. And I'm, I'm not going to have long hair, God, because I want to. Come on. I'm submitted to you, God. I'm submitted. Come on, somebody lift your voice. Come on, young lady. God will restore it to you. Come on, young lady. God's going to restore it to you. 
in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus I'm gonna tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost while you continue to pray there's some there's some ladies in the building that have made some mistakes when you knew better and, and you cut your hair because you you had a moment of weakness and and you've lived under condemnation and what do I do and 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 I disobeyed I'm gonna tell you something Samson made a mistake concerning his consecration to God and he lost his power but the Bible says that as his hair began to grow back and he remained consecrated to God that his power came back to him and I'm telling some ladies in the building you may have made a mistake but the devil needs to know uh, that you're coming back uh, and your hair is growing back uh, and you're not going to do it again. Come on. Uh, and I'm telling you, uh, God's power in your life is being restored uh, and God's authority in your life uh, is being restored. Uh, come on, lift your hands. Uh, lift your hands. God's here tonight. Uh, God's restoring tonight. Uh, God's working tonight. In the name of Jesus. Come on, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, just a few moments tonight. Just a few moments tonight, God. I'm reaffirming my, my commitment to you. God, I'm reaffirming my consecration to you. God, I'm reaffirming. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, pray until you get victory tonight. Pray until you get it in your heart tonight. Pray until you get his word in your spirit tonight. Come on, there's some women in the building. God wants to deliver you from fear and insecurity. God wants to deliver you from the bondage of I'm not good enough. God wants to deliver you from the idea that you're not sufficient. He wants to deliver you from the idea that you need more than what God gave you. Come on. The devil is a liar. Come on, pray. Come on, pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just to see you. In Jesus' name. To behold you as my king. Yes, God. For your glory. I will do. I will do Just to see Just you. Just to see you. Come on, whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes, God, I will, I will do, do just, to, just see to see you. Come on, come on. To be as my come on, why? I gotta be. Come on, come on, lift your voice. I can't let anything separate me, God. Can't let anything diminish my walk with you, God. I can't let anything detract me, God. Come on, young man. Come on, young man. Whatever it takes, God. 
Whatever it takes, God. Lord, I want to be Whatever it takes, God. I'm gonna be where you are. Come on, come on. Where?